Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over by law. 18 plus. conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. <laughs> Archangels, ghosts, and Bigfoot, oh my, it's just another night for Supernatural Girls. Real stories, real answers to life's biggest supernatural mysteries. And now for another exciting interview with paranormal experts from this world and others. Here are your Supernatural hosts, Patricia Baker and Becky Andreasen. Supernatural Girls. everybody welcome again to supernatural girls radio becky how do we sound well i hear no echo over there how about me you sound great i think we're good to go yay (laughs) yay oh my goodness so (laughs) finally we will eventually be able to get ed malkowski uh here with us on the show but in the meantime i have a few announcements to make so Let's go right to that. We've got our website, supernaturalgirlswithaz.com. want to remind everybody to subscribe to the newsletter, and you'll get all the latest show information, the discounts on terrific products from EnterHealth, Wise Choice, Organic Wine Company, and there's going to be more coming on board. So lots of wonderful discounts for all of our listeners. And we also have the Supernatural Store with products. And, Becky, you and I are going to be teaching a new class. Yes, exciting. It is. It's called Dreaming the Impossible, a return to a state of grace. So if you are tired of the constant struggle and you want things to be easier in your life, this class is for you. It's all designed to remove obstacles and basically create just a state of grace for you in your life right now. So it's just uh it's going to be a lot of fun and there's only four people that we're going to be working with so it ensures a lot of personal attention and we're going to be using dreams in self-reclamation which is a totally new thing that i've been working with over the last year and i'm happy to share it with everybody we're also going to be doing a three-step affirmation process that actually works we're going to be using something called the emotion potion for the ultimate in emotional freedom And we're also going to be doing connection via ancient angelic prayer, your specialty, Becky. 
And yes. we're going to be teaching the most powerful statement you can make that will set positive change in motion immediately. So for more it's information on that, go to our website, supernaturalgirls.com, and you can email us with any questions, and we will be happy to answer them and also put you on the list for the class. So that is what we are planning to do, and I'm very excited about it. Yes, me too. It'll be fun. It sounds, yes. It's, it's, and, I'm, you know, I'm I love looking watch, forward to it. I know. I know. Me too. And I love watching people transform. I love watching yes. people's lives get easier. And so this is going to be just great in every way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And Power Preppers is back, 5 to 6 p.m. on Thursday. And this week we're going to be talking about ham radios, something I've always wanted to learn about. So ham radios, here we come on Thursday, 5 to 6, Power Preppers. And if you can't listen to our shows when they're live, everything's archived, so you can listen at your own convenience. And at the end of tonight's show, Becky, you're going to deliver another message from the elders to one of our listeners. Yes, I sure am. I have it right here in front of me, and I'm excited to deliver the message to the person out there. Yes. Good. And I have just one small piece of paranormal news tonight. Now, there's not a lot of things that give me pause in the paranormal world, but this one did. You've heard of the devil dogs, right? Hounds from hell? Yes. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Now, the the first time I ever heard of them was when I was watching the scripted series, Supernatural, that I love, and they talked about the hellhounds, and they were scary then. But people have actually claimed to have seen them and even photographed them in Logan County, West Virginia. Oh, my. Oh, that is close to home. It is. I know. That's why I'm bringing this up. want to put you on alert. And according to these... Yeah, watch out. According to these guys uh, that saw them and photographed them, these things are part of the canine family, but they're super large, like 200 pounds. And they have three toes. The back legs are taller and bigger than the front legs. And they drain the blood out of their prey, and their eyes glow red. So oh. th- that's the kind of thing that just makes me kind of hold my breath a little bit when I hear about yeah, things cringe. like that. Yeah, cringe. That's terrifying. Wow. It is, and we know so little. There's so little history about them. Uh, there's some mythology, but it it doesn't. there's not a lot of information, and especially the question of why are they turning up now. They were also spotted in California where they did oh. significant damage to somebody's car. Guess ripped they ripped right through the metal and everything. Oh my word. Yeah. Oh. And and some some guy went out to do something in his yard and lucky for him he was behind a gated area when he saw these things. But he described very similar it was a very similar description to what the men saw in West Virginia. So I don't know why they're turning up all of a sudden. It seems like people mm. are reporting them. So we'll have to keep an eye on that. Maybe Varla Ventura next week will give us more info. Oh, that would be good. Yeah. Yeah, so we're going to have to remember oh. to ask her. <laughs> yes. Our guest next true. week is an expert on monsters. She may know uh, the answers to these questions. Yes. Oh. So tonight. Well, I think a lot of strange, oh, strange things There's just too many up. mysteries, I think. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's hard to keep track of them all, but this is an I important know. one. This is an important yes. one. Yes. So, but yeah. tonight we're talking positive stuff, too. We've, I mean, is this the first time in a while I've heard anybody come out with something positive about our future? 
And that's why I'm, I'm, I know you and I are both thrilled to have Ed Malkowski on the show, and he is the author of a number of books, including Ancient Egypt, 39,000 BCE, Sons of God, Daughters of Men, Before the Pharaohs, and the Spiritual Technology of Ancient Egypt, and what we're going to be talking about tonight, which is return to the golden, return, excuse me, of the golden age, ancient history, and the key to our collective future. So I'm excited to hear good news for a change. Yeah. So, Ed, welcome to Supernatural Girls. You are live on the air. Thank you, ladies. Thank you for having me. And your your class sounds like it's part of the new coming golden age that you're going to be teaching. Oh, oh thanks. I think it is. Yes, <laughs> yes it, it, I think it is, too. And I, I'd like to ask something. When you see... Okay, which we have seen, right, Patricia? Golden light. Yes. In uh, in the actual room, just appear golden light throughout the whole room. Is that what they're calling the the Christ consciousness or the the omni consciousness that is the golden light that is here now? That's us. That is it, because we've experienced it already, haven't we, Patricia? It was we awesome. We have. Yes, we've seen it multiple times when we've done work together. Yes, and we were amazed. I and mean, we've even captured so... it on film, yeah. Yes, we absolutely. So I was excited to ask you first right off the bat. That's my first question. <laughs> <laughs> the golden light. Yes. But, Ed, you've got so much material in this book, and this book is available, as all of your books are, on Amazon.com, and, and I really want to encourage everybody to get a copy of your book and read it from cover to cover, as both Becky and I did. It's fascinating. I mean, you really have given us just so much wonderful information about our past and what our potential future could be. How did you get involved in all of this? Hmm. Oh, it's it's really a lifelong quest. Uh, it's one of those things where I had my first so-called uh, epiphany or spiritual moment when I was eight years old. Uh, uh, it was just, I was in the bathroom, I had woken up and was getting ready to go out to play. And uh, I was washing my face like my mom taught me to do. And I was looking in the mirror and all of a sudden, it was like I was looking back at myself, and uh, these questions just popped into my head. Who am I? You know, why am I? Why aren't I someone else? And then it kind of left me, and I went out and played. But uh, it, uh, it resurfaced about five, six years later, and I had another epiphany when I was around 13 about, about life and love. And uh, then uh, when I was 20... Uh, it was about uh, Christian religion. I had a, a bit of epiphany about that. So that went on, and all my life I've been fascinated about history. You know, what, what is history? Why, why is history so long ago? What happened back then to make, to make me who I am and to make society what it is? And, and, and that was kind of the largest, the largest question I've right there that was, uh, seems to be an overarching question in my life is why are things the way they are? Why, wh- what is history? Who are we? Where did we come from? Where are we going? So in my first book, Sons of God, Daughters of Men, uh, I was convinced that the, the earliest stories in, in Genesis were 
mythology. And when I say mythology, I don't mean they were fiction. I just mean that they were written in a different style of communicating truth than what we're used, what we're used to today. And so I try to overlap archaeology and geology with uh, biblical mythology and other mythologies to try and find some truth in there. And when I was doing that, I, uh, I got to meet John Anthony West and uh, got into ancient Egypt. And it seems to me that in the ancient past, almost everything points to ancient Egypt. Uh, it really so does. Can, it, it really yeah. does point to ancient Egypt. And John Anthony West is just remarkable. You're very lucky to know someone like that who is willing to go against the grain to find the truth. Well, yeah. well, that, that kind of blew my mind. That was actually kind of the beginning of my modern times uh, search for truth in history. Uh, it was uh, 1993. Uh, John Anthony West had teamed up with Dr. Robert Schock, and they went over to Egypt and did, uh, did a redating of the Sphinx. And, of course, the conclusions Dr. Schott came up with is the Sphinx is much older than 2500 B.C., a lot older, maybe even as old as, as 10,000 B.C. And this was a big NBC two-hour documentary special that was hosted by Charlton Heston. And I, I still remember watching that and just saying to myself, oh, my God, we, we've basically been lied to our whole lives about history. It's true. So, it's and that yeah, was groundbreaking so, when they came out with that. And actually, Dr. Shock has been on the Power Prepper show talking about solar flares. And, and of course, he did bring up the actual age of the pyramids, which is so far beyond anything that we've been taught. Yeah. Yes, it's actually, you know, when you start thinking about it seriously, it's actually really, really crazy. So, so uh, my first four books really were concerned about, about history, the philosophy of history, ancient Egypt for the most part, and, and uh, more recently, uh, I've been alive for plus years, and I've noticed that things have changed drastically if you start looking at longer scopes of periods of times. For example, uh, what exists right now is really nothing like what existed 30 years ago. And when you, when you start looking at cultures, our culture particularly, there's a lot of change going on. Uh, you know, we had the 20th century, is now behind us by 14 years. We had the 20th century, which turned out to be just about the most bloodiest century in, in the entire history of humanity. Uh, and then the Cold War, and then the Cold War's over, and there's talk of a new world order. Uh, and, and then China throws in the towel on their central planning of the economy, and they join the capitalist world. Uh, you have the youth of today, which seems to be really getting away from those traditional Christian doctrines. There, there's a movement called the Emerging Church, where, where a lot of these young Christians, they're, they're getting away from the, from the hell thing, not even thinking that hell exists, and moving in, in more Gnostic terms the way they believe. And then there's uh, uh, Professor Dr. Dr. Ehrman, who pretty much has shown that the, uh, that the orthodoxy 17 centuries ago have they actually altered uh, the manuscripts of the Bible a little bit. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? 
Ah, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. To reflect their own views of what Christianity should be. Now, put on top of that, you've got a huge paranormal movement just in the past 30 years. Yes, we have. It's phenomenal to watch this tidal wave of interest. Yeah, but... Back in the 1970s, there was, I think, one or two, para- there were two paranormal shows. And they didn't last for very long either. The first one was The Sixth Sense with, uh, with Gary Collins. And then there was uh, Polchak the Night Stalker with Darren McGavin. Well, since, the, since, the, since 1979, we've had a flood of paranormal shows come in. I think there's something like 150 to 200 different types of paranormal shows that have come up. Uh, just just in the last 15, 15 years or so. Now you put on top of that, you put on top of that the economics of what's going on. And our government, uh, there seems to be some, some serious paranormal, paranormal, I'm sorry, paranoia going on with the government. So, you know, if, when I look at things in, in this big historical context, uh, I see society and culture just kind of going off in all these different ways. Of course, then you've got aliens and UFOs and, and ancient aliens. So, you know, I have to say to myself, what is going on? Yeah, and what is going on? Like, for example, why do you think there is so much interest in the paranormal today? Well, it's, 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 a, it's a search for truth. Uh, we build models. As a society, we build models of what history is, we build a model of what life should be. And if you, if you look throughout history, going all the way back to the ancients, the ancients even had a model of history and life themselves. But if you look at our Western culture and the models that we have built, uh, the very first model coming out of Western culture was Christendom. This is going back to the 4th century, uh, the Common Era. You have, you have Rome pretty much doing away with their, with their traditional old religion and grasping onto Christianity, spinning it around a little bit and making their own model of, of what life should be and what history is. And, and that existed intact almost for a thousand years, bringing us all the way up to the 15th, 16th century. And, uh, and of course, as everyone knows, uh, uh, they were very uh, repressive to the people uh, in their ideas and their model of what life should be like. Oh, yes, and absolutely. So then you have a rebellion against that, okay? And that rebellion comes in the form of science. And it takes uh, 100 to 200 years, but science wins out because science actually benefits society. You've got scientific input. 
you know, scientific inquiry, that leads to scientific knowledge, that leads to scientific technology, which leads to industrialization. And you actually have the lifestyles of people getting better because of science. Right. So, you know, so we're talking 18th, 19th century, and we have this industrial revolution going on. And science becomes predominant. And then at that point in time, uh, they kind of create a war against religion. And coming into the future, science becomes very predominant. Well, I think what's going on right now is, is a kind of a rebellion against that science model. So you have all kinds of paranormal stuff going on. That's kind of my take on it. Well, I think that's an interesting answer, and I agree with you. And I also think, to take it a step beyond, you mentioned the paranoia towards the government. I think the government also has paranoia towards the people because we have the numbers. And so for us, you know, we're looking at our institutions that have failed us, and there are so many of them. Where do we go from here? You know, we're turning inward and we're turning to other dimensions that cannot be regulated by the government. What are they going to do? Put a tax on astral travel or, you know, <laughs> penalize us if we talk to an extraterrestrial? You know what I'm saying? It's like they have no business there. So it's a place where we all can go and be free. Well, let's see, see that here I see that as the Internet. I'm not saying that the Internet is spiritual. And, and uh, like you ladies, I have my own spiritual pathway. Uh, for the past five years, my, my dream world has been just outstanding in, in many ways, shapes, and forms and has brought me to a, a totally different point of view now than I had, say, uh, 12 years ago when I started writing books. It's a very different thing. Uh, what's going on, I mean, from an actual physical, material, cultural standpoint, is the Internet. The Internet has changed everything. Yes, it has. Uh, it mm -hmm. started out, well, you just think about it for a minute. And before 93, before we had the Internet, all we had was large radio shows and large, large uh, television stations. And, and you, you had to be super wealthy to have a television station or a radio station. So there was kind of a control on information that was being disseminated into the public. Other corporations, you know, would tell people what they wanted people to hear. Likewise, government would do the same. Right. Well, with the, with the advent of the Internet, there's no more control. The, the Internet is actually an uncensored uh, free area for broadcasting, uh, just like you ladies with your show and all the other shows and YouTube and the blogs and Facebook. Oh, definitely. I think it's, it's a lot harder to suppress information, especially about the world of the paranormal, much harder to suppress that with the Internet. Right. Yes. So, so people are talking, people are chatting, people are sharing, people are broadcasting themselves, people are putting on wonderful radio shows like Supernatural Girls, and this, this is creating an engine of change for humanity. And that change is leading to a golden age. Aha. So, see, well, Becky, we are part of the change. <laughs> yes, I like that. But, you know, the paranormal has been here since forever, eons. I mean, it's always been here. I think 
Like I don't um, think there is a paranormal. Well, okay, supernatural. Hang on, hang on. I don't think there is a paranormal because I think it's all normal. Well, that's it. It's normal to have dreams. But not to the people of today. In other words, if they have a a paranormal experience, okay, or we'll call, quote, unquote, call it paranormal, okay, it doesn't fit in their normal way of life, so therefore they call it paranormal. But what I'm stating is the supernatural, which I feel supernatural is spiritual. Natural is physical. And I feel that has both been with us since the beginning of time. But more people are are gaining access to it through many different ways. That's why it's building up. And um, even in faiths, you know, or religions, like even in my, my faith and my religion, these things fit into it because God's created everything or the omnipresent creator of the universe has created everything. So you really can't separate nothing from it. You can handle it in certain ways, but it's all here. It's all here. Supernatural, natural, it's all here. We just have to learn how to deal with it and and interact and know what it is in and of our lives. Don't you think? I agree 100%. I was being a little facetious there saying that. Uh-huh. I didn't believe in the paranormal. <laughs> okay. Because, because it's, 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 really, it's really all normal. Uh, what's interesting, and uh, a part of this is in the book, it's, that's actually part of the book, what is really fascinating to me is that our society, you know, especially in the past, we would actually teach our kids that dreams, it's just a dream, it's meaningless. Oh, no, that was just your imagination. It really, really wasn't anything. So, you know, the way our society is, is, is there's, in Western culture, there's this huge desire for materialism and permanence. However, uh, the true nature of the human being is to seek out meaning. This is another with... This is another problem with science and, and, and how I see this, this paranormal movement as, as a, a rebellion against the scientific model. Uh, science says that everything's an accident. Our universe was created from nothing. It's an accident. Our planet was created from next to nothing. All, it, it's, it's an accident. The arrival of a human species through evolution, all, all, it, it's an accident. So it, it's, kind of, it's kind of ironic to think about that you have... You have science, which is mostly revered and and is actually responsible for all the goodies that we're using today. Science really is responsible for it, quantum physics specifically. But if you look at their model of what humanity actually is, it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever because the the nature of the human being is to seek meaning and purpose. It doesn't matter who you are or where you live on this planet. If you're a human being, you have this innate drive to attach meaning and purpose to your life. Now, that's, that is a piece of, of data, of scientific data, that cannot be argued with. But yet, science says that, well, it's not true. So, there's this rebellion. And, you know... Uh, Imagination, for example. I, I think this is a very, very obvious example for anyone 
to understand. Uh, let's take modern inventions, for example. If someone has an invention, whether it's a light bulb or the telephone or television or computers, before that invention actually becomes a physical thing, someone has an idea. In other words, somebody imagined it. Right. Okay? Yeah. Right. So we can take this, this, uh, this, this line of reasoning all the way back for thousands of years, let's say to, you know, uh, hypothetically go back to the very first house, whenever that was long, many, many years ago. Well, someone had the idea of building a shelter before he built the shelter, okay? Right. This is, this is the way we work as humanity, imagination and creation into the physical realm. Well, since this is the case for all of humanity, it must also be the case for the world and the universe. So, so actually, we are the universe itself, moving from a spiritual dimension or a virtual dimension into a physical dimension. Right. And actually, we're working together in both dimensions. That's correct. Present time, always. That's correct. Yes. And that's creating. And so what you're saying then is we basically hold the key through our imagination to make positive change. And certainly we do benefit from technology to a point until that technology is so monetized uh, that it overrides our, our humanity. And that's right. the place that's where it feels right like we're there. caught right now. Right. That's the big problem right there is everything's monetized in some way, shape, or form. Uh, in, in, in trying to understand who we are, where we come from, and, and where we were going, uh, I was a business student originally. I got my degree from the University of Illinois in finance, and I spent uh, the first 15 years of my life in the actual financial business world. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm used to understanding the ways of business, and I've, I've known that business has been around since, uh, since uh, the dawn of civilization. Uh, the Sumerians were all about business. They've actually found uh, accounting records that are in uh, cuneiform Sumerian texts. So my big question is, why is the entire planet owned? And why does everyone have to buy a piece of, a, a piece of land from it? Why, do we have, why does the human species have to buy its life on the planet? It, it was a question that was kind of uh, dogging me for a very, very long time. And uh, going back through history, there's a time that that didn't exist. Uh, the very first memories of humanity is mythology. Uh, and the very first memory of humanity, period, is the memory of a golden age. And it's, it's not just one culture. It's almost all cultures, the memory of a golden age. The Sumerians have a memory of, of the golden age as well as... With the Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The Greeks, as well as the Egyptians, as well as the Hindus. So, my question then was, if mankind originally existed in, in the Golden Age, what happened? Why did everything change? Yeah, why has it changed to this degree where it's so uncomfortable? I mean, yeah. I don't have any problem with money or people having money, but there's something that's gone on with business, uh, and if maybe you can explain this to us and our audience about the role of business over the top of the government and over the top of all of us. Right. Well, to answer that, I'll start off with, well, what happened to the Golden Age? Yeah, and what happened? <laughs> the answer the answer that I found out and it is corroborated in archaeology, geology, as well as the literature, mythology. Uh, the golden age was destroyed by a by a celestial disaster in our solar system. Uh, uh-huh. Most people think of m- most people think of it today as as the end of the ice age twelve thousand years ago, and and, and again this is geologic fact that forty five percent of all mammalian species went extinct twelve thousand years ago, but up until most recently we really didn't know why. Okay, but now and I think Dr. Shock has some has some good information on that too in his most recent book, but there's, there's several others, and. Excuse me. The, the consensus is: twelve thousand years ago, our planet was bombarded uh, from a disaster outside our solar system, and it almost destroyed the planet. And and this is recorded in again the Sumerian mythology, the Egyptian mythology, as well as the Greek mythology. Uh, the Greek mythology is is kind of my favorite because it, it's it's almost exact what the actual physical theory is, that a star in the Vela system went type 2 supernova 12,000 years ago and shot uh, plasma uh, to the tune of, you know, tens of millions of degrees in all directions. And a large planet-sized ball of plasma came ricocheting through our solar system, and it swept by the Earth and, and caused great damage. The... Uh, the myth of the Greek myth of Phaeton and the chariot of the sun, you know, kind of explains per se exactly exactly what happened. And at the end of the myth, the, the, the myth is set between the planets, where where Phaeton goes and borrows the chariot of the sun. He can't control the horses, and there's fire going everywhere around all the planets. He finally gets the, the chariot under somewhat of a control and goes home with it. But a piece of the chariot is is bolted off. And, and falls on Earth and creates disaster. So, so that mythology really matches up well with what happened 12,000 years ago. And 
the end of the golden age is the, the death of gods that's also recorded in ancient mythology. Uh, again, it's the same mythology in Egypt as well as Samaria. So, you know... Well, the death have, meaning they left, right? Correct. Yes, they right. left the planet. The, the planets left their positions and went to new positions. Right. What, I'm, what, I'm, what I'm saying, and this is based on some of the work of, of David Talbot, who you should have on your show, by the way, if you haven't had him yet. <coughs> Excuse me. Yes. Well, put him the on the list, for sure. Were, yes. Planets were in a very different arrangement 12,000 years ago. We could actually <laughs> see Saturn and Mars and Venus just like we can see the moon. Those were the gods. Wow. Okay. And when this, when, when this, uh, when this disaster happened, uh, it, it broke up our orbits and put the planets into new orbits. So... If you're a person on Earth at that time and managed to survive the catastrophe, and a few people did, which is also captured in the myth of Hathor and the Eye of Ra in Egypt, ancient Egypt mythology, if you're a person that happened to survive, what you woke up with was a desolate planet, a planet that had been scorched, a planet that climate was changing. So to try and survive, what do you do? You do, you do anything you can do to survive, okay? So, you know, what I see happening is 12,000 years ago, there was this birth of an, an understanding and a mindset of scarcity and, you know, not knowing where your food's going to come from or if you're going to live, it creates fear. So you've got scarcity and fear. And then what happens is very interesting that I still quite don't understand a little bit concept of domination. You get the concept of domination coming into the humanity along with the concepts of ownership and property rights. Now, the, the real interesting thing about all this is the entry point of this whole domination idea is directed right towards the woman. And from there it takes off into a structured civilization, a hierarchical civilization. And in ancient Samaria, you see it in ancient Samaria almost verbatim. Uh, at 3000 BC, you've got one city-state fighting another city-state. And it's just war for a thousand years until the first empire uh, comes forth, the Akkadian Empire. And then there's just nothing but a series of empires. Akkadian is, is uh, conquered by the Babylonians, is conquered by the Persians, who's conquered by the Greeks, who's conquered by the Romans. And the Roman Empire actually takes us up to the date because the whole Western civilization is founded on the principles of the Roman Empire. Now, we don't call ourselves the Roman Empire, and our laws and rules are, are a little bit different than the Roman Empire. But in principle, you know, we, we, we as, as a Western society, are operating under the same ideas as the Roman Empire. And those ideas are really about domination of control, domination and control of land and resources. Well, it sounded to me like at first it was survival of the fittest. And then from there, greed came in. Correct. Doesn't Question it? Is why? Yeah. Well, that's it. Well, right. yeah, I mean, that is, 
but but here's the thing too. I mean, when I think back on those times, they must have been pretty brutal. And I don't know. Sometimes I watch television, and I'm sure you all do too. And you see that they they kind of hurt the bad guy a little, and they leave him alive and walk away. And everybody's screaming, "Kill him!" <laughs> because they get rid of him. In five minutes, he's going to come back and scare the heck out of you and try to get you again. So, you know, I look back on ancient times, and this is kind of a strange analogy, but that's kind of how I see it, how in those days it was, as Becky's describing, it was survival of the fittest, but it's also being realistic. We can't reason with some of these people. They're not to be reasoned with. So the conquering aspect uh, might be a little more understandable put in that context now. We're at a different place today. And clearly, I hope, we are outgrowing the need to do that. And well, that, that's, 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 kind of what, that's, that's kind of what I see going on. When, when we're talking about kings and, and, and empires, uh, I, I ask the question, what were these kings and these emperors, what were they trying to accomplish in their own personal lives and in the lives of those around them? It's actually, the answer is actually very easy. For the kings and the nobility they were creating their own little golden age on the backs of the people. And throughout history, these kingdoms and empires keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger until we get up to modern day when the, the empires... Yeah. We're still doing it, correct. Yeah. We're, we're, we're still doing it. But it, it has taken a different approach more through economics and it has military might. Yes, and a lot of subterfuge, you know, a lot of things that are hidden. And yes, and absolutely. So that's, that's the other thing that I think, that I'm hearing about from people that is of great concern, is that how much secrecy has has gone on. And, and that's another part of it that, that makes for a problem as we grow up. As we grow up as a people and want to take more self-responsibility for the world around us. Absolutely. That's right. And and how do you, you know, you want to send love. You want to be good with people and to people. You want to do the right thing. And then you have these others up there that are doing the same exact thing, only in secret or in, in very harsh ways. And, I mean, it's almost someone who wants to do the right thing and do good, its they're making it almost impossible for them. I mean, they're stomping them down and destroying them practically. I see it out there. And, and yay, you don't want to give up. I mean, never give up is right. But the thing is, is that's what people in our society right now are getting back. And they're going through all sorts of awful things and hardship. Well, the, 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 the main problem is, is money. There's just absolutely no question about money is, is the big problem. My wife and I have run businesses for the past five years, and I have seen it firsthand uh, with employees. Uh, they want the money. They have to have the money. They have to have the money to pay their, their, their rent or their mortgage, their car payment or their phone. They have right. to have the money, and they will do anything and say anything, they will lie and cheat and do anything to get That's that awful, money. Yeah. Now, now, now what's, what's interesting is a lot of these people are, are generally nice 
people, but they're forced into a way of life. They have to do whatever they have to money. Because money is the source of exchange. Exactly. To get what you need to get. So therefore, that's the only source. I'm Mm -hmm. sorry, Becky. You know, the other thing that I see, though, is how many people have an internal moral compass today? And that's a question to ask all the generations that are here on the planet. Uh, Where is the moral compass and where is right action? And and you bring up property rights, and this is a big pet peeve of mine because I, I helped a friend of mine write a book on property taxes. And what we found was a tremendously antiquated property tax system now, each state has their own laws, but it's pretty much the same except for California and Alaska. Those two states have a little bit of a different system. But just about everywhere else in this country, you have a system that is built for corruption. I mean built correct. for it. Yes, you know, this book came out written by an attorney. I was like, this is going to change the face of property taxes in this country. People are finally going to see what's being done to them. And, you know, we uncovered all kinds of stuff. We uncovered assessors assessing people for property they didn't own, for buildings they didn't have, for, you know, increasing the square footage that wasn't there. And when this book came out, it went nowhere. I mean, people's eyes glazed over. And they couldn't believe that this is something that was going on on a daily basis. A lot of these people had never even seen their property record card, which is the document that they decide how much they're going to tax you on. I mean, how many people have seen this document? Not very many. And yet that's what holds the key here. That's what shows you what's going on. And you have the right to see it. You have also the right to see your assessor's property record card. And what we also found was that, you know, it's in towns, small towns especially, Assessors were lowering their own property taxes. Hmm, what a surprise. Mm-hmm. So, again, yeah, where's yeah, the sure. internal moral compass? But even more importantly, in my mind, where is right action where people band together and say, enough, we're going to put pressure on our legislators to change the law so that people can't assess property where they live. And they have to have a high level of training. I mean, right now, assessors across this land don't even have to have a high school education. So they're assessing your house. They're telling you how much your property is worth. Doesn't that make you kind of scratch your head? So, but who's fighting this? Very few people. So that's that's something that I just wanted to bring up because it's it's concerning because it's one aspect of how we drop the ball. Mm -hmm. Well, it's it's let's think about it philosophically. Just just for a minute or so, okay, if you have to pay property tax on your property, it's not really your property. Okay, exactly. because, Bingo. Because, yeah. because if you don't pay the property tax, guess what? The, the municipality that you live in has the right. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chabacasino.com 
Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VDW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Confiscate that and sell it to pay the taxes. That's right. So you're actually, you're, you're actually renting your property from the government. Yes, and we allow it. See, this is the thing, Ed. We allow it. I, I, I mean, think people, it's crazy. they don't know what to do, you know. But but there is a system in place that can work if enough people get together and put the pressure in the right places. I mean, one That's of the laws correct. that I, I proposed to the Massachusetts legislator, legislators is to at least mandate that from this point forward, assessors cannot assess property in their own towns where they live and own property. I mean, that's just common sense. Yes, that is. Uh, but, of interest. Yeah, I would think so. But, again, this thing is sitting around collecting dust. Now, I have to kind of gather my resources and keep sending emails over, make a phone call, ask my friends to do the same. But it's it's just something where, again, people don't understand how at risk they are, and I think this sleepwalking that m- many of us have been doing on many issues, not just this, but on many right. issues, we have to start taking responsibility for how things are in the world today and seeing where we want to make a difference, where we want to take right action. I just don't see enough of that lately. I'd no, like- we, we have to put we have to put pressure on our, on our state representatives. We have to put pressure. Uh, congressional representatives, and we have to put pressure on the Senate. Uh, the, the people basically have to hold hands and stick together, and, and, and say and say this is what we want. I think I think a long time ago John Lennon said it best. This is going back to his uh, his little uh, peace campaign in, in the early 1970s. Uh, War is over if you want, and he went on television, and he said basically. The people have the power. They've always had the power. All they have to do is use it. It's that simple. Yes, that is. We do, and so we have to stop being so lazy and and, and start choosing something. our our battles here. What do we want to change? And this then take the those internet, steps. This is where the internet comes in because before the internet, all you had was the three or four uh, network channels and the large radio stations. And they controlled uh, public opinion, and that's they, they formed public opinion into into the society and life that we have today. Now that we have the internet, we have a true uncensored media to talk about all this stuff and actually try and make changes. Well, they're trying to control the internet too. Believe me, I I'm sure they are. Yeah, <laughs> there's a big word out yet. there about that. No, not yet, but they're trying. <laughs> but so the with Supernatural Girls, we're working on changing hearts and minds. So everybody That's just right. stay with us. We're going to take a short commercial break. You might want to pay particular attention to the property tax commercial. <laughs> yes, <laughs> for sure. And we will be right back, everybody. Stay tuned.
property tax bill. Have you seen it lately? It's frightening. Your property taxes are going up while your home value is going down. It's time to fight back and win. For the real truth about the property tax system, get Attorney Pat Quintilian's book, Are You Getting Screwed on Your Property Taxes? How to Find Out and How to Fix It. Attorney Quintilian answers all your questions and gives you the facts you need to fight a property tax bill that is spiraling out of control. You'll also read about what happens to property owners who don't check their property records, only to find out too late they're taxed on square footage, fixtures, and even buildings that they don't own. Is this happening to you? Learn your rights. Buy Attorney Pat Quintilian's book today. Are you getting screwed on your property taxes? How to find out and how to fix it. Available on Amazon.com. Bonjour, this is Veronique Raskin, founder of the Organic One Company. As one of the pioneers of the Organic One movement, since 1980 I have brought you the very best and most authentic organic wines directly to your table. I work with small family estates who grow certified organic grapes and produce exceptional wines. You can purchase our wines individually from our website at theorganicwinecompany.com or join one of our wine clubs. Our organic wines are perfect for you and for your family as gifts for friends and relatives, and they are simply spectacular for the holidays. Visit us at theorganicwinecompany.com to enjoy the very best organic wines conveniently delivered to your door. I am Veronique Raskin, passionate about my mission. I offer to you vegan, organic, and biodynamic wines, wines made by people of the heart, wines with a heart. Au revoir. Call us at 1-888-ECO-WINE. Are you ready for a new experience of freedom and powerful connection? Would you like a positive, effortless change in your life? Then come to CosmicFusion.com, where we offer the most advanced energy clearing and expansion techniques in the world with a quantum vortex energy to activate your divine blueprint and life's purpose. When your soul leads the way with Cosmic Fusion and Quantum Vortex Energy, you can break clear of past difficulties and blocks with the power of the Source. With Cosmic Fusion, the Source Energy does the work for you. It's easy and effortless. Listen to our free meditation right from our Cosmic Fusion website, the Cosmic Code Meditation. Sign up for one of our interactive webinars today. Come to Cosmic Fusion www.kosmicfusion.com to experience an effortless awakening and transformation. Are you ready for an upgrade? Are you ready for a new experience of living in the fifth dimensional magic and powerful connection? Then visit cosmicfusion.com today. Cosmicfusion.com Everybody, we are having a very spirited discussion with author and historian Ed Malkowski, who is the author of many books, including the one we're talking about this evening, which is Return of the Golden Age, Ancient History and the Key to Our Collective 
future. And that's available on Amazon.com. It's a great book. So here we are, Ed. We're talking about some really important issues. And, you know, you talk very eloquently in your book about our early history and how things were a part of this golden age, and then things kind of went bad from there. We've been caught in this cycle of dominance, and there is a question, though, that I have for you. Where does ancient Egypt fit into all of this? Was it a part of the golden age? Because it seems like it had a little bit of both going on. Well, that's what my next book is going to be about. I'm I'm tentatively calling my next book... uh, Cosmic Conspiracy, The Origins and History of Evil. And Egypt, actually, uh, when I talk about Egypt, I'm talking about the 40,000-year lifespan of Egypt. Now, today, historically, the way mainstream looks at it, Egypt only has a 3,000-year history, from 3,000 B.C. to the Common Era that Egyptian civilization. But the ancient Egyptians themselves, from their own records, say that their civilization goes back to 39,000 B.C. This is the title of my previous book, Ancient Ancient Egypt 39,000 B.C., the, the history, technology, and philosophy of Civilization X. I call it Civilization X because we really don't have a lot of information about exactly who they were, where they were, and what they did. A lot of that was destroyed in the catastrophe 12,000 years ago. But uh, enough people of that super ancient Egypt survived the catastrophe that they were able to restart civilization around 8,000, 9,000 B.C. They were the people that built the temples, and the pyramids, and all these wondrous structures that we see over in Egypt today. We see the ruins of them. They actually restarted civilization way back then. Uh, But because life was so difficult, it it seems to me, and the historical record bears this out, that they could not keep that technology moving forward. And and probably the reason there is there, there 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 wasn't enough people around to sustain that technology. The same thing would happen to us today. If we were to be, dim- uh, uh, if we were to be decimated by a celestial uh, fireball today and most of the, the earth was destroyed, those survivors, well, we wouldn't have any need for automobiles, for telephones, for any of this stuff. The, the survivors would, would pull together in isolated pockets and just worry, uh, just worry about living, about getting enough food to eat and shelter and heating. So over time, the technology of ancient Egypt was just, was just simply lost. However, what came forward to ancient Egypt was their philosophy uh, and their point of view and their style of government for the world or for their civilization. Now, there's, there's all kinds of talk about, and everyone kind of knows this, that the ancient Egyptian uh, method of government was the pharaoh, which means great house, and their academic system was called uh, the temple mysteries. 
no one really has kind of figured that out exactly what they did and how they operated, how they governed themselves. But one thing is for sure, however they governed themselves, their civilization, as far as the historical period goes, that lasted for 3,000 years. Now, an interesting point comes up with Plato and his most renowned work, The Republic. Uh, if you read The Republic, Plato gives you a whole dissertation on what's good government and what's bad government, and then he gives you his ideas on what would be a good government. Well, after Plato's lifetime, I believe uh, the philosopher Cantor brings this brings this uh, this item to the surface. He says that Plato was mocked by his peers while he was alive because everyone in Greece at the time understood that the Republic Plato was talking about was actually the way ancient Egypt governed themselves, and that Plato was just kind of taking what Egypt did and reforming it into a new book called The Republic that he called, he called it his own. Interestingly, well, we've, well, we've got this sense of the pharaohs. I mean, we know that a right. little bit about them, and some of them were enlightened beings, winged pharaohs they may have been called. But then we also have this hierarchy with the priests. And is what is that? I mean, is that where things started to go awry? It went awry very slowly. Uh, probably the last thousand years of ancient Egyptian civilization, you have a dilution of the way they ran things, and you had more outsiders infiltrating into their culture and marrying and mixing. And as, as time moves forward, Ancient Egypt becomes more hierarchical, but originally they were not. In fact, uh, I, I think a good symbol of, of the whole idea of ancient Egypt is found in the diadem, the crown of the pharaoh. The crown of the pharaoh has two symbols uh, at the forehead. One symbol is that of a snake, the serpent, the cobra, and the other symbol is that of a vulture. For the longest time, these symbols were really mysterious things. No one had any idea uh, what these symbols meant. But a man, a Frenchman by the name of uh, René Schwaller de Lubitz, back in the, the late, late 1930s and 1940s, all the way through the 50s, spent like uh, 15 years in, in Thebes, a modern-day Luxor, and him and an archaeologist, archaeologists uh, worked there trying to understand the symbols and the hieroglyphs of the Egyptians, is trying to put together you know, exactly what they were talking about in their worldview. And I, and I think he did, he did a wonderful job. Uh, I'm a, I'm a good, good fan of his and a student of his. And what he, what he came up with is that the ancient Egyptians were using animal figures as symbols to represent uh, natural occurring principles and concepts. In other words, the whole language of, of hieroglyphs and animals is actually a scientific lang language explaining the observable uh, universe and nature that we live in. Now, back to the diadem. Why the serpent and, and why the vulture? 
Everyone yeah, knows that that the, that the serpent was uh, very revered in ancient times. Uh, I spent a month in Egypt in 07, and there was literally serpents, uh, uh, sculptures and statues of serpents everywhere. Well, they used animals to portray ideas and concepts. The serpent, as we see in the Garden of Eden, is a very special serpent. And that, that actually, that serpent symbolism from the Garden of Eden is actually borrowed from the Egyptians. But it's twisted around in a little bit of a dogmatic way to mean something else. The original meaning of the serpent was creation. Okay, you have, uh, you have the serpent or a snake, which is a singular bodied animal. There's no appendages. It's just one thing. Well, conceptually, this is the origins of our, of our... But is it also considered kundalini energy? Because when that energy moves inside someone's body, I mean, they do, if it goes all the way through all of the chakras, then they, they do become enlightened. They do reach a whole different state of being. Could it also mean that? I think we lost Ed. We lost Uh-oh. Ed. Ed, yes. are you there? We lost Ed. Yes. <laughs> okay, Ed. <laughs> well, hopefully Ed will call right back in because he yes. knows this also can happen on Blog Talk Radio. Yes. But this is a fascinating discussion we're having. Yes, and and I wonder with the serpent, you know, where they have the lines going up and down, if it's way back from the creation, the energy, like the ribbon flow of of time and energy. Yeah. I think that's a great point, Becky, because, you know, we've yeah. been working on this together about yeah. uh, creation energy, the ribbons of time, and also kundalini energy, which awakens and has the potential to right. awaken every single center, every single chakra in your, in your body. There was a wonderful book written by Joan Grant called Winged Pharaoh, and she had all of these past life memories about Egypt. It was a great book. But she talks about what they did in these uh, temples, the, the initiations into the sacred mysteries. And we've definitely lost, lost all of that. I mean, that's something that yeah. only can come through people like Joan Grant. And so I'm, you know, I'm just so excited to talk more with Ed when he gets back on the line. <laughs> Let's yeah. see if we can give him a call and just tell him that we lost him. Yes. Um, well, I, I think it's fascinating with, with all that, the symbol, you know, the symbolic meanings of each thing. It goes way back, way, way back. And it does show us creation energy. You know, well, it is, and a lot of people, I think, don't know quite what that is, and it is the most powerful energy. It's uh, something that really cannot be named, and we call it that. But it's right. Much... They just chose chose right. a symbol. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That held through time. <laughs> yes. And you know, some of these symbols, people fear. If they well, knew the right. exact I mean, meaning, the snake they wouldn't. Is, is seen that way as an unfriendly, venomous creature. And right. that's, of course it is, but, but in the mm-hmm. spiritual realm, this is a symbol of something very powerful. And certainly it can, uh, it can be something that, that happens that is, um, it, it is not to, to the benefit of the person. If you're not in a balanced state, then it can, uh, it can create other problems for you. 
So it is important to be balanced when you approach Kundalini energy and and make sure that you are handling it properly. And there's a lot of people out there who help uh, help people with that. In fact, we had somebody on the show about four months ago that does exactly that. So Mm -hmm. I know that. Tell yes, yes. I know that firsthand because I actually burnt my skin with that energy going through me. <laughs> oh my and goodness! What happened? It was hard. Well, you know, you you have it rising up and going through your body, and you get sensations, and you actually can receive physical heat and sensations. And parts of my body ended up getting like sunburned. So oh I understand balance. You do need balance. Yes. <laughs> it can yes. be dangerous. Yes. Yes, absolutely. You do. You do. And, in fact, I worked with somebody years ago who had a, a partial kundalini awakening and then a full kundalini awakening, and she actually started a fire. It was a blue fire that uh, mm-hmm. happened on her arm. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, these, I know. these energies are powerful. <laughs> so. Yes, they are. People really need to realize they truly are powerful and they truly exist. They do. They do. Yes. So let's see. I think Ed is back with us. Let me bring okay. him live. Ed, are you with us? Ed? Nope. <laughs> He's in the screening room now with Becky. Okay. Oh, wonderful. We'll let him talk. <laughs> with Our call screener is Becky, and she's another Becky, and she's absolutely great. And handling all the calls that come through here. And so, anyways, but obviously Blog Talk's having a problem with their radio board tonight that goes beyond our control. But we will handle it. We do handle it, don't we? Yes, we do. (laughs) Yes. And there was such a nice compliment uh, that Ed gave us about our dream class that we're going to be offering, which is not a dream class. I mean, it's called Dreaming the Impossible a return to the state of grace. And for anybody who missed the beginning of the show, we are offering a fantastic class with all kinds of new techniques and and ways to realign that are very, very powerful. So we're going to be offering that soon. And if you're interested, you can go to the website, which is supernaturalgirlswithaz.com, and there's all the information there, the dates that we're holding the class, and exactly what is going to be in the curriculum and how you can sign up for it. So we're both very excited about doing this class. Yes, we are. It's going to be great. It will be very transformational, a lot of fun. So anyways, I think this is Ed. Let's see if I can get him back with us. Yes. Ed, are you on the line with us? I am on the line. I, I oh, guess I was goody. A while. What <laughs> happened? You just disappeared all of a sudden. Did Blog Talk kick you off? I guess I guess it just kicked me off. I have no idea. Well, we <laughs> apologize. That's awful because yeah. suddenly Becky was saying, my goodness, I think we lost Ed. So welcome Ed. back. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Thank you. We were talking about Kundalini energy when uh, you were kicked out of the, the board. So... Let's go back to that, because we were talking about the power of the pharaohs, the power of the priests, the ancient mystery schools, all of that. And you mentioned you're writing a new book that's going to talk about uh, this aspect of Egypt. Right, right. And and I was explaining, that's where I was, I was explaining why the pharaoh's diadem had a serpent and a, and a vulture on it. Yes. And 
the the circumcision symbolism uh, is a metaphor for creation. when, when there was only a single consciousness, an absolute undifferentiated consciousness, the universe was one, the numeral one. And when God decided to create the other, which is Christ consciousness, the Son, whatever you want to call uh, that, that other concept, then there was two. So the snake being a single-bodied creature with no appendages, but yet having a forked tongue and a forked penis is an apt symbol to represent that first step of creation from the movement of one to two. So the serpent is actually divine and represents the primordial scission, the first act of creation. Now, the vulture uh, is, is, a, is a little bit more strange, and it, it took me a, a little bit longer time to try and figure this one out, but the vulture represents maternity and the nurturement and the protection of the young. Why the vulture is because uh, the ancient vulture, the, the white vulture of Egypt, was known for being fierce when it comes to protecting its young. Very, very, very protective. So in Egyptian eyes, the vulture was an apt symbol to represent the concept of the feminine. And, you know, we all know that it's the feminine concept that gives birth to life. It's, it's, it's mom is what's important, you know. She's the very foundation of society. So these two principles of divinity and the feminine is the actual foundation of ancient Egyptian philosophy on which everything else is built. That's part of the reason why they were so successful. The other reason is no one could become a pharaoh unless they were initiated, okay? The house of Pharaoh was a matriarchal lineage, but just one person or two people didn't rule. They had a whole body of rulers. Egypt was broken into what they call gnomes. I guess you can call them provinces or states. But there there was a number of gnomes throughout Egypt, and the government was held locally, as well as being a capital, first in, in Memphis in the north, and then in Thebes in the south. So these bodies of governors, where they come from, well, they came from the temple, the temple schools. They came from the mystery for the, schools. For the pharaoh, oh. let me just ask you a question about that, because you said you can't be a pharaoh unless you're initiated. Do, is there any record or is there any understanding of what that initiation actually was? There's no actual... There, there is no curriculum, but how historians have gone about looking as to how it happened is to examine the temples themselves and see what the temples are. The one good example that I know of is the, the a Temple of Amun in Thebes. Uh, the temple itself, as you walk through the temple, the architecture and the hieroglyphs and the murals on the temple walls is, is actually a description of the human body and how it works. Even the spiritual aspects of the body, when, when you get up to the place of the temple where it's about the head, you know, it, it's referencing the pineal gland, it's, referen- it's referencing the journey in the duat, it's referencing all these spiritual things. So we had to piece together 
the whole concept of what's the curriculum by looking at these temples where these people went to do their studies. Does that answer your question? Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, because I, what I'm thinking is we're at an interesting point in history and in our lives when we have more choices than we've had in the past to explore these realms. And we ourselves can choose to take a path of initiation if we want to. And I wonder if you see that as a part of birthing the Golden Age, that we bring ourselves to that point of initiation. There's there's absolutely no question about it. Uh, I have had my own initiation sequence that I had mentioned at the first part of the program. It, it, it actually kind of be, begun when I was eight years old. But, you know, becoming a, a young man in society, I went, to, I, I went society's way, going into business, business school, and all that. So there's a system that lives on top of humanity and tells us what life should be like. But we people have to have this inner thing inside of us that wants truth and meaning. So in my own initiation, if, 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 I, could put a, if I could put a timetable on it, uh, you know, the, the, the 93 documentary with Johnny Anthony West was, was a turning point, but around 12 years ago is when my initiation truly started. And as each year went by and as I learned more, what happened to me, and, and this, is, this would happen to all people too, but this is the pattern. At first, the, the knowledge is mental knowledge. It's intellectual knowledge about life and history. But as you sink deeper into your initiation, that intellectual knowledge starts moving into actual experiential knowledge in dreams, in visions, in the paranormal. But yes, uh, this is what society has to do. We, the people, we have to become initiated to understand what's going on and to be able to hold hands together and get this, get this golden age off the, off the ground. Yeah, that that makes sense, you know, because really if we're coming away from these larger institutions because we've lost faith in them, they have let us down for one reason or another, whether it be the church with the uh, problems with sexual molestation or the government with its overreaching and doing all the things that they've been up to, the scandals and that nobody's ever held accountable, it seems, at least in this administration, it's uh, it's so disappointing and disheartening, but yet on the positive side, it allows you to stop looking at them to take care of you. So if you wanted to do something positive in all of this, it seems like you would look within to take care of yourself and and start making better choices around all of that. So you can't just hand over responsibility right. anymore. Right. I think the government gets too much blame. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is my this is my opinion. I, I I've been in business for a long time, and and I studied at at university here in Illinois for for five years, and I see I see something a little bit different. I see actually two different cultures and systems going on, and I think government gets a lot of the blame, unjustly so, because we have certain constitutional protections that's guaranteed to us by the government. We have the Bill of Rights, and we also have, have the United States Constitution. Uh, these are documents that really almost no one argues about. I mean, these are our freedoms and liberties. 
Okay, that really doesn't seem to be the problem. To lead into this next little dissertation of mine, uh, I'm going to ask a couple questions here. Why is it that elections are always about jobs? Why is it that the candidates of these elections are always about whoever raises the most money will probably win the election. Okay, these are these are really interesting questions that I've thought about for a very long time. And it seems to me, and this this is truth because our media actually talks about that. We have the public sector and we have the private sector. Now the public sector, you know, our life with the government is, is covered by documented rights. Now the economic sector, the so-called private sector, the economic sector, there we don't have any rights. An employer can fire you anytime for any reason. And as technology has come forward during these past 50 years, the corporations, the large corporations, have retooled everything and have leveraged technology to get the human element out of the picture and to rely more on, on technology and engineering. That way, you don't have to pay people for their work. You don't have to provide for them health insurance, dental insurance, and life insurance. So getting rid of the people okay, has given the corporations all that much more power. And because they are private institutions, whatever they do, as long as it's not a crime, you know, like pouring poison into a river, or something like that. They can do whatever they want, and they can deal with their people however they want. That's the bigger problem, because right now, oh, I read a report somewhere, there's like 100 million people here in the States that are giving government assistance in, in one way, shape, or form. So what, I, what, I, what I'm saying here is the true power behind all the scenes is the corporation. And their economic force is more damaging to society and the government's force. Then what is what is it? The return of the golden age in your book. What is returning? What is there that is showing us the golden age is returning? What's going on right now, especially in these past twenty years, uh, people are rebelling against the models that have been forth that have been put forth to us, the economic model the mm-hmm. science model, the religious model, uh, people are reaching out into all kinds of things. People are searching the spiritual world for the answers, the paranormal, the UFOs, the aliens, uh, truth and history, all these things. You know, it appears to the onlooker that it's a great big mess. You've got people that believe in quantum philosophy as their, as their way of life. You've got people who believe in aliens as their way of life, ancient aliens. You've got other people who believe in ghosts. Other people want to believe in, in, in Bigfoot. Other people are still Christians, but they're becoming Gnostic Christians. Uh, these past 20 years, society has kind of become very, very weird. Well, what I see that is going on is people are breaking away from the chains, chains that have bound them mentally and spiritually. And we're moving 
forward. We're starting to move forward because there's there's a fascinating uh, phenomenon these past 20 years also called uh, the indigo children. Right. Mm -hmm. There's there's all these children being born, and I, I believe it starts in the early early 1980s, early to mid 1980s, where children being born are naturally intuitive or naturally spiritual. Now, I don't think that, you know, there's truly such a thing as indigo children, per se. I don't think they're actually special children. What I think is going on is society itself is becoming more spiritual. And parents who have broken the chains of that material way of life are seeing that their children are spiritual. And they're helping the, the child, uh, they're helping nurture the child in that spirituality and helping them grow in that way. That's what, what I see is going on. So, so we humanity, we're, we're changing in itself, changing ourselves. And I think the bottom line to that is, you know, you talk about people being in control. Is the government in control? Are the corporations in control? Who's in control? I don't think anyone's in control. I think humanity has its own collective unconsciousness, and that's what's in control. Mm-hmm. And, and is that why, I mean, there's a, there's a lot talked about with, with the us versus them. Is that why they're afraid of us? Because we have, again, we've got the numbers. We have so many more people and again, I, I think it is important to bring that that up that we do have the power to explore these other things, to uh, not so much thumb our nose at, at these authorities, but to say I, I don't really care what uh, the great Randy has to say about the paranormal. Right. I, I know that he has a lot to say to try to debunk all of this, but that's his opinion. It doesn't mean I have to listen or agree to what he says. Now, that's different as opposed to 20 years ago right. when uh, he was in the peak of his career and he would come out and just be the naysayer on so many different things. People don't really have to listen to him now. No. Or anybody no, like no. him. No. <laughs> we, should listen, we should listen to our own personal experiences. I had a turning point. Uh, my huge turning point where I was totally overwhelmed by the paranormal came about four years ago. I had this dream, and it started out like an ordinary dream. Me and a bunch of my friends were in this big boat of a white car, and we were traveling. And we happened upon this great big house on a hill at the edge of the city. It was an ordinary house, you know, ordinary dream. And there was a party going on in the backyard. So we went there, and it's a normal backyard party, people mingling around with drinks, talking. There was this large TV, LCD TV, sitting out on the yard by a couch. And I sat down on the couch, started watching the TV, and then it started to sprinkle. So I intuitively knew in the dream that, you know, party's over, we're going to go. So I went inside the house to freshen up, go to the bathroom. Well, as soon as I stepped across the threshold of the bathroom, I became consciously awake in my dream. Oh, I mean, cool. I could... I could actually I could actually have cognitive functions. So as I stood there in the bathroom doorway, I could see the toilet to the left, I could see the shower curtain to the right, 
and I looked down to my left out of the corner of my eye, and I saw the dual sinks of the master bathroom. And I actually deliberated to myself. I thought to myself, bathrooms have mirrors, don't they? And then I glanced down to the sink again, and I could see the corner of the mirror. And then I deliberated again. I actually said to myself in the dream, do it. Turn around, look in the mirror, and see what you really look like. And so I did. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, uh, for me to wake up from a dream like that was absolutely mind-blowing because there I was staring at the real me. And it was, it was, it was mind-blowing. And at that point in time, I knew for a fact the temporal world that we live in right now is not the real world. We will pass from it. No, no question now, about now it. when you say that, because I know a lot of our audience members have questions about that, what do you mean this isn't the real world? What is it? What is the real world? But what is this if it's not the real world? <clears throat> this, this is, one, a virtual reality. And from all the experiences I have, what I've come up with is this is a school. We are I here agree. to learn yeah. and grow. And the school is all about reincarnation. We have to keep coming back time and again until we become enlightened. And once we become enlightened, then we have the choice to either come back or not or do something else. So would you say that, because I know there's been a lot of chatter lately about this is a like a computer simulation. That's what this life is. The matrix. Uh, you, you know, I, I mean, I don't want to call it per se a, a computer reality, but, but I think a computer simulation is, is, is a close enough analogy to what it is. Okay. The key is that this virtual reality that we live in, which we call a temporal world, it's so detailed to such a minute degree that it's very, 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 very convincing that it's real. So, you know, sure feels in, it. in one respect, it's really hard to break away from that. Yes. You know, it, take, it takes a lot of, at first it takes a lot of mind power to, you know, try and contemplate the situation. And then after that, to really sink your teeth in it, you have to move to an experiential level where you start dreaming, where your dreams start to become cogent and meaningful. Okay? For example, here's, here's another good dream story for you that I can share with you. <clears throat> because, of my, because of my early Christian background, I really was soured on the whole concept of demons. It's just really, you know, I just really didn't like it. There was really... You know, you see the Hollywood films about demons and they're all, you know, their faces are all ugly and they're killing people and acting weird. And then you have religious fundamentalism who, you know, they say everything from drinking coffee to smoking to whatever is all because of the demons. I just didn't like it. But my oldest boy, uh, he's about 30 years old now, he had read a book written by a psychologist. Oh, this is an older book. I think it's the late 80s or early 90s. But anyway, it's about the psychiatrist who actually was starting to treat people for spirit possession. And she was having success with it. So anyway, he and I are having this, this long 
debate, this long discourse about do demons, do demons really, and, and actually our discussion was deeper than that. Our discussion was do extra dimensional entities actually exist or not? Now that was mm-hmm. our big debate. I was taking the side, no, they didn't. He was taking the side, yes, Dad, they did. Well, it was, it was about a year ago. Dream was, was actually another mind-blowing dream. Uh, the dream began as I found myself in the void. And I looked up, and there was my son, Joe, waving to me, smiling, as if to say, here you go, Dad. And as I looked down in front of me again from looking at him, sprawled out across this invisible couch was this creature. Uh-huh. And, and she was, I'm, I'm calling it a she because her, she was in human form. She was not human, but she was in human form. There was this creature sprawled out on this, cr- on this couch in front of me. And by her body shape, she is a really nice built female. Okay, long slender legs, long torso, you know, round, perfectly geometric head, and arms, legs, and all of that. However, uh, the folds on her body, the skin folds on her body, had the appearance of scales. That that was her body looked like that. And mm-hmm. I stood there and looked at her, and I walked around her. And the whole feeling and the intuition of the dream was that she had no power over me. And in fact, she was almost kind of like a pet, but she was a pet that I could never own. And when I walked up close to her, I looked at her right into the eyes, and there was no scales on her face. She had a normal female human face, perfectly geometric. It's quite beautiful, actually. But her eyes were, they were so light blue that they were almost white. And we looked at each other in the eyes for about three seconds, and it, it just kind of weirded me out totally. And, and then I woke up from the dream, and after waking up from that dream, I, I, I called my son right away, and I said, Joe, our debate on, on extra-dimensional entities is over. You win. <laughs> I can see you. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, that's terrific. Yes. Terrific. So it gave you a real-life experience that there are extra-dimensional or interdimensional beings, whatever you want to call them. Yes, interesting. Well, well, you see, you see what's interesting about my son Joe is uh, he used to be a Ph.D. student in neuroscience. He's not any longer. He's got some very severe problems with his back and has had three back surgeries in the past five years. But, but, oh, but, but him being, being a Ph.D. PhD student in neuroscience, you know, he knows a lot about the brain, the mind, how it works together, what, what actually goes on. And there's, there, there's fascinating things about dreams because dream in your brain, in your mind, a dream creates a memory in the same way any physical activity creates a memory. In your mind and brain, you, don't, you can't distinguish between what's a real memory that's physical or a memory that's a dream memory. What's important about that is it explains a lot about who we are in truth, okay? Because our consciousness never, never sleeps. 
Our bodies right. go to sleep, but our mm-hmm. consciousness keeps going on. So if you can maintain, if you, if you go to sleep and you're going to sleep and falling asleep, if you concentrate to yourself, you know, stay conscious, stay conscious, stay conscious in my sleep state. If you do that and are ardent about it, sooner or later you will break through that dream barrier and you will be able to go into a, what I call a mind space and to wander around and have journeys, journeys in this great big multidimensional universe. Like astro-traveling. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you can call it yeah. astro-travel. You can call it dreaming. Uh, there's probably a few other phrases or words you could use there, but yeah, it's all the same thing. Right, and Castaneda's work that was was just, it really hit a nerve. I mean, best-selling books every time you put a book out. I mean, he talked a lot about the power of dreams and walking into other realities, you know, being able to, to really experience other realities from the dream state. And an interesting experiment was done with Carlos Castaneda at one of the institutes in California. And what they did was they, they picked, I believe it was around 14 people, and they said, we want you to keep track of your dreams every night. Just write everything down in the morning when you get up. And if anything unusual happens, please call the institute in the morning. Well, it wasn't long after that that every single one of them called the Institute the same day and said, last night, Carlos Castaneda walked into my dream and shook my hand and said, hello, I'm Carlos Castaneda, please call the Institute in the morning. So it was a tremendously successful experiment, but it shows you the power of, of dreaming, like you said, uh, lucid dreaming. I think Carlos went way beyond lucid dreaming. He he was able to control where he went, who he saw. I mean, there was there was just a tremendous amount of power there with what he had learned from the shaman that he called Don Juan. But again, there's so much, and I agree with you, to be learned from the dreaming mind. And yet, I find so many people today don't want to pay attention to their dreams. They don't want the so-called work of it, like keeping a dream journal or, I mean, it's like it's just too much. People don't want to be bothered. And I think it's a terrible shame. They're missing out on a lot of power, just leaving it right well, on the table. That's where the system comes in. That's where the system, that, that uh, that's where the Western European economic system comes in that we've built. Well, we can call it what it is. It's a consumer society. Well, the whole consumer society is completely against everything we're talking about tonight. Okay? Yes, they you're right. You. They, 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 they hypnotize you with commercials and programs and ego. You know, if, if, if you watch TV long enough, you actually start feeling bad about yourself because you're not as pretty as that girl on TV. You're not as pretty as that, as that handsome man on TV. You can't play football like... Uh, Jay Cutler, my favorite, I'm a Bears fan, or Tom Brady, you know. Yeah, you're bringing up such important information here with that, and I think that's true, and it's, again, I think it's a real shame when people don't want to learn how to do this thing. It's not that hard. It just takes paying attention, and you write down your dreams, uh, you know, in the morning when you wake up. It's not that big of a deal, but I'm amazed at how many people think it's too much trouble, and yet here is a way back. Here's a way to unification. Here's a way home. 
through your dreaming mind. So I'm with you. I totally support the idea of people learning about this. But I do have a question in the chat room for you, Ed. Um, This lady would like to know, when you looked in the mirror and saw yourself in that remarkable dream you had, did you look like what you look like here? What did you look like? She would like to know. Well, the the best I can answer that is I I did look like me, but I didn't look like me. Now, the best way I I can describe it is I was still the size I am now. There's, there's, there's a physical difference between a man who's 18 and a man who, who's, you know, in his 40s or early 50s. When I was 18, my, my, my muscle mass was not nearly what it was today. I was like 160 pounds at 18. Today, I, I'm probably about 240. Uh, broad shoulders. You've expanded. Uh, <laughs> right. It's, I've filled out. So, so when I'm looking in the mirror... I, I'm I'm still seeing the, the the massive body that I am today. However, the the number one trait is there's no aging whatsoever. Okay. Oh. Uh, I like yeah, me my too. <laughs> my facial features and my hair. I don't have any hair now, but you know, look in the mirror. My, my hair was the my hair was the, the golden color that it was when I was a boy. I was a sandy blonde. And so when I'm looking in the mirror, I see delicate eyebrows perfectly formed, a nose perfectly formed, my eyes are blue, so I had these glowing blue eyes in the mirror. But the number one freaky thing about my spiritual true body is the complexion of my skin. Oh. My, my skin was a perfect complexion, and it actually glowed a little bit. Mm. It had a shine to it, and it was it was it was, it was pretty crazy. Wow! So there was That's an really agelessness great. about your image, and um, there was an agelessness. There was right. um, kind of a youthfulness about what you, what you looked at in the mirror, as well as an inner would you say an inner glow, like a cosmic glow to your face. Uh, well, it was, it was, it was my, I mean, all I could see was my, was my neck and my face, but I assumed it was my whole body. I, I, I assumed, well, this is where we can, this is where we can go back to physics just a little bit so I can brag on my youngest son a little bit. Uh, my, my, my youngest son is a physicist out in Santa Barbara, California, and we've talked about physics and philosophy and consciousness for many, many years now. He actually... I uh, got some big credit on my last book because he helped me kind of come up with a new theory on the pyramids. But anyway, uh, talking about the shine of my skin, this is from an actual real-life physicist, and, and this is going, to, going to, to address our material reality, the, the atoms that make up our material reality. He says that light, meaning a photon, light and its reflection the interaction with its reflection creates the appearance of matter. So matter huh. itself is actually composed of light or photons. So when I was seeing myself in the mirror, that, that shine from my complexion was actually coming from the actual light source that my body is, which makes sense because 
this whole subject of beings of light is actually an ancient subject itself. Yeah, your spirit body. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. And, and yes. Here's, here's something else that, that, that I really think what's going on here in this temporal world. I think that we come here and we created this world as, as spirit beings into physical beings to create new ways of sensation. I think the sensation of feel, sight, uh, taste, smell, and hearing, I think these things are being created here and we take them with us into our true eternal home. So there, there's, there's some really good purpose and reasons why we, we've made this kindergarten we call the universe. Yeah, I mean, I, I see that exactly what you're talking about. But what I also see is that when we come here, a lot of things pull us apart. So we start out yeah. with some sense of wholeness, but then society pulls us apart, our parents pull us apart, events pull us apart. And so we lose parts of ourselves along the way. We end up either burying them, dropping them, uh, whatever, cutting them off completely. And then it becomes our task to reassemble ourselves to realign right. ourselves, to reclaim ourselves. It's actually a big part of the class that Becky and I are doing is that self-reclamation because if you don't reabsorb those parts of yourself and accept everything that you've left behind for one reason or another, you've lost a good percentage of your power and your ability to refine and transform yourself. So I feel like we're all in a cauldron. We all have our own individual cauldrons. It's like we're being cooked. <laughs> we need all the ingredients back, you know, in that cauldron so that we can be the best we can be and and realign ourselves and return to a state of grace. And again, we're back to the class Becky and I have constructed that does exactly that. So that's that's kind of the way I, I look at it. And that brings me to my, to my that brings me back to the Golden Age and my current book and the sequel to Golden Age that I'm working on now is if in fact humanity originally existed as a Golden Age, as our mythology says it does, then what happened and why? And why are we having to struggle now, like you ladies are doing with your classes, to piece back uh, the members of our own existence. What happened? This is going to get back to the ancient Egyptian stuff uh, that we were talking about earlier. We were talking about uh, the Egyptian pharaonic theocracy, how it operated, how it was able to sustain a 3,000-year-old civilization. What's really, really fascinating is the first century of our, of our common era when Christianity got underway and when, when Rome hijacked the, the Christian philosophy and turned it into religion. Well, the Egyptians were there and the Egyptians had already had a 3,000 year history of spirituality behind them. And when Christianity came up, it was okay, it was cool. Because the whole concept of Christianity is really very, very, very simple. That concept can be boiled down into one statement, and that's do unto others as you would do unto yourself. The whole thing about Christ is, is peace and goodwill to all people. Okay? Absolutely. Well, 
the Egyptians saw that that Christian philosophy was being hijacked by what I call archons or rulers, and they wrote about it. They they left us documents explaining what happens. Uh, these are the so-called Gnostic documents that were found in southern Egypt in 1945, the Nagamati texts. There's multiple documents in there that, that, that tell us, folks, what was happening here in the first century was a hijack and a ripoff. Uh, the so-called God of Gar- the Garden of Eden is not God. It's, it's actually a blind entity that wants to rule this world. You know, uh, two of the more important documents that I can name, name off of hand is uh, the hypostasis of the Archons, an untitled document called On the Origin of the, of the World, and another document called The Truth About the Resurrection. So it, I find that personally as a historian that these Egyptians saw what was going on and actually wrote about it and documented what, what was going on. And, you know, for the, for the next 2,000 years, these documents were, were completely ignored. Well, first off, they were destroyed in the 4th century by the church, except this one little cachet of documents in Egypt. Uh, fragments were found uh, during me- medieval times. There's a few Gnostic fragments that came forth, but it wasn't until 1945 that the actual documents themselves were found. And it, it, it's taken 60, 70 years for these documents actually to reach the people, for the people to actually start reading them and discussing them. So it's kind of an amazing thing to, to see to see and watch what was going on. Well, there was so much manipulation of ancient history, and that's why your book, I think, is so remarkable, because you really try to bring a, a level of truth and understanding back through all those years in history so that we can understand what's happened. And, again, with the truth continuing to be hidden from us, it makes it very difficult to to get grounded and to decide on a path. But as you're talking about this, it seems very clear that the only way to do that is to go inside and find your own path. That's correct. We all have to do it. We all have to do it. See, this is this is what's kind of crazy too, is because on the one hand, we have to do it individually. I cannot force you to become enlightened. You can't force me to become enlightened. There's no forcing anything. Each person has to do it at their own time, at their own plan, and in their own way. Yet, on the other hand, we do need to hold hands and help each other through this initiation, this this enlightenment period. So it's kind of both things. We all need to hold hands and help each other through it, but yet each each individual person has to experience that enlightenment, him or herself. Well, I agree. And it it sounds like there's going to be a very clear choice to be made. I mean, if you keep turning outside of yourself for somebody else to take care of you, you're you're going to be kind of up a creek. So it's those those systems have dropped away. And they're not there to, to help you. I mean, if you even look at, and I know we have differing views on this administration, but if you look at the state of this crazy healthcare thing that's going on and all of the problems that have arisen as a result of this, which started out to be a promise of great things, is is not, right. to say the least. Right. So it's, again, it's, we're going to take care of you. You are? <laughs> 
<laughs> no, you're not. And and that's no, the not. kind of thing that people have to understand is that that those days are over. That's not going to happen. Um, it's it's just you know even we, when I have security expert Steve Mingas with us on on the air and he's talking about what's going on today for security issues. It's a different world. You can't expect the police to show up on your door and make everything better. It's not going to happen. It's a strange so Yes. Yes, and and also getting back to even the paranormal, um, all these things have always happened. We're just becoming a lot more aware that it's going on around us and in lots of us, our lives. You know, yes. and it's real. The unseen things are more real than the seen things, actually. That, that's where we live. Yes. If you, if you think about it, even though, even though we attribute events to the outside world, where they actually take place is in your own mind and own soul. It's, it, it's emotions. Things make you happy. They make you sad. Uh, there's joy. There's peace. There's also uh, hate and greed. There's, there's, there's all these different emotions that, that go on uh, in the human being, and that is where life is actually lived. It's not really lived in the outer world. It's lived in the inner world. And if you, if you start looking at all of the great masters, all of the great religious masters of history, whether it's Confucius or Jesus or Buddha or the Dalai Lama, they all say the same thing. You've got to go in for your salvation. Yes. There's no, there's no right. other way to do that. You know, and it's so interesting to me, Ed, that you've had two profound experiences with mirrors. One when you were very young, at, I think you said seven years old? About seven or eight, somewhere in there, yeah. And, and then the other one when you were older and you were in uh, the other dream where you were able to look in the mirror and see your cosmic self. I mean, it's those are profound experiences that really gave you an entirely different perspective on life. You're right. so lucky to have right. had that. Well, see, what's, what's really strange about being me is I'm a skeptic. I don't just buy into anything that comes along the road, okay? I have to digest it myself and use my own common sense to, to, figure, you know, to figure out, you know, if, if there's any merit to it. So... So, you know, here's this skeptic growing up, and these things are happening to him and actually proving to him that, yes, the real world is not local. It's non-local. It's spiritual. It's whatever you want to call it, but it's not, it's not materially physical. Well, you're very lucky to have had those, uh, those times in your life, uh, along with your skepticism and... <laughs> And again, what a great book. I really want to encourage people to take a look at all your books that are available on Amazon.com, but especially Return of the Golden Age, Ancient History, and the Key to Our Collective Future. It is a great, great book, Ed. You did a tremendous job in putting all this material together. I know Becky and I had many conversations throughout the week about what you uh, what you have written here, it's it's just an extensive uh, look back in history and into our future. Oh, yeah. Very well done. And I really enjoyed Gilgamesh. Oh my gosh! Really enjoyed I that. Enjoyed yes. 
Yeah, guiltiness uh, is the planet Earth. That's what the whole yeah. mythology is about. You know. I know. I was like stunned when I was reading that. It was so enjoyable. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, it's, it's, I loved it. You know, I mean, here we can talk about being hypnotized again because we learned in school what Gilgamesh is supposed to be taught to us by our history teachers, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then when you get on this experience of enlightenment, you start looking at the, the Gilgamesh epic in a whole new way, and it's a huge epic. Gilgamesh is 20,000 words. So when you start looking at the characters of the epic, they're all planets, you know? It was amazing. <laughs> and, then it's like, well, and then it's like, well, wait a minute. If Gilgamesh is half God, half human, right? then what is he? Yeah. Planet Earth. And then you have Enkidu, which is Gilgamesh's good buddy. You have Enkidu representing the actual manifestation of humankind on the planet. Because Enkidu was first an animal-type being. That after meeting a after meeting a woman and knowing understanding what love and sex was, became a person, and that person is mortal. He could have became mortal, whereas Gilgamesh did not. So right. so yeah, that was that, that was pretty cool. I I really enjoyed. That was. Getting into that I was later. like, wow, <laughs> that was great. <laughs> well, great. It's Very just a great book. Yeah, the whole thing is. It's, been a tremendous experience having you on the show, Ed, and and helping people understand their choices and what they can do to help usher in the golden age. It's been a great show. Yes, well, thank you very thank much, ladies. You so I, much. I really enjoyed being on here too. It was great to talking with you. Well, thank, thank you so me. much, and thank you for putting up with all of our audio issues tonight. But I know you got your message out there, and that's the most important thing. And and keep us posted on your new book. We're going to have to have you come back and, and give us more great information. I, I will do that. Thank you very much. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so, Becky, you have a message to deliver to somebody yes. tonight. I absolutely do. The message from the elders tonight is for Seal. And this is Seal's message. No longer dormant. Activate now your two key elements. Explore and self-express. Young day sarata seal, we are with you. And there you have it. That's a message for seal tonight from the elders. Wow, thank you, Becky. And seal, when you get that message, if you'd like to respond to Becky, feel free to do so. Becky's email address is on our website, which is supernaturalgirlswithaz.com. And I know Becky yes. would love to hear back from you on that. I would. Yes, that's yes, a wonderful absolutely. gift. Wonderful gift. What a so everybody, great show. Oh, it's tremendous. And and if anybody's interested, I know people have already been sending emails in and questions about the group uh, that's coming up, the class that we're teaching, and that is starting in a week. And please feel free to go to our website and read all about it. It is called Dreaming the Impossible, A Return to the State of Grace. And Becky and I are both teaching that class for 
four sessions and only four people will be allowed in the class. So make sure that you get your personal attention. So it's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of transformation, a lot of change in a positive way will happen. Absolutely. So, Becky, it's been wonderful. Yes, it has been great. And I, I really enjoyed the show. And, oh, just amazing. That book was amazing. It is a great book. So, again, the yes. name of the book is Return of the Golden Age, Ancient History, and the Key to Our Collective Future by Ed Malkowski. And this has been wonderful. So, everybody, have a terrific rest of your evening and weekend. And we will be talking with you next week. Our guest is Barla Ventura. She's going to be talking about all kinds of monsters, banshees, and all kinds of stuff. I cannot oh, wait to wow. pick her brain on those devil dogs, too. <laughs> Me, too. Everything that's out there is going to be awesome. Wonderful. <laughs> yes, can't wait. So, everybody, be sure to join us next week. Thanks for tuning in tonight. And, everybody, enjoy the rest of your weekend. Good night, Patricia. Good night, Becky. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another radio adventure with Supernatural.